0: Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Welcome everybody to the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining me today. So excited to have the ability to talk to a a guy that I admire. In the LinkedIn universe, you can go to LinkedIn and find him there. You can also go to his website, davidmassover.com. And David is a B2B specialist. In fact, he's got a new podcast coming out called Driving B2B Sales Revenue. He'll tell us a little bit about that, some things going on in his life. But I want to welcome you and introduce you to a friend of mine. If you don't know him, a great guy, David Massover, joins me today on on the Intentional encourage your podcast. Maybe if I could say that correctly, David, we could get off to a good start. How are you today?
1: Baby steps, man. Baby steps. That's all we're asking for.
0: I know, right?
1: I'm I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me here, man. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I've done radio and done radio interviews now for you know, 17, 18 years, and I'm stepping into this podcast thing. So you would think I would know how to bring on a guest, and I have totally stumbled and fumbled today bringing you on. But uh, through the power of the interwebs, you and I are connecting today. You are in Budapest, Hungary. So I've got to ask you, how does a West Coast boy like yourself get all the way to Budapest, Hungary and, and set up residence there?
1: Well, there's kind of a a short, a medium, and a long version of the story. The short one goes something like this. So there was this girl. Now, the long version requires a lot of alcohol and tissues and a whole lot more time than we have. So I'm not (laughs) sure how much more you want to know.
0: Well, again, it's, you know, a lot of people in this day and age – are, are kind of afraid to make those moves unless they're going to a vacation home or something like that. But to transplant yourself over there to Hungary and and to do business, you've got a very unusual way of doing business and running your company. So you work when a lot of people in your now home country are enjoying their evening time and their downtime. How has that been transitioning from for you? going from working in the States on on the different time zones in the United States to being across the pond and working, again, when everybody else is enjoying life?
1: Well, you know, yeah, right now it's like that, but but it wasn't always like that. I moved over here in 2004, and when I first moved here, I was doing business here. I was doing business in Hungary and also in some other countries around the region and Poland and Czech Republic And, you know, it was just kind of normal. I would work the same time that most other people worked. Um, It was in in 2017. uh, And, you know, when I first came here, I was mostly working as a sales consultant and a sales trainer, just like I'm doing right now. But between about 2009 and 2017, I did a whole bunch of different stuff. I was doing startup stuff. There was a big startup movement here. I did some interim management projects. And in 2017, one of those ended. And I, I just, you know, kind of took a time out and said, all right, what do I really want to do? And I thought, number one, I really want to go back to sales consulting and training because it's 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 just what I love. It's what I've done with most of my life. It's my passion. I think I maybe got ten more years I want to work, and I really want to focus there because because that's that's just what I enjoy. But I also realized that, you know, I've been blogging since two thousand and nine when when my first book came out i started blogging and i looked at my analytics and like almost everybody that comes to my blog is in america and i thought well Mm -hmm. listen if my message is resonating there why don't i try and not limit myself geographically so i started posting on linkedin to to generate prospects and it just happened that a lot of people were connecting with me on linkedin uh, from the states and i wound up doing business on the states so yeah I work very, very funny hours, and I do wind up working kind of 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. my time. But there's times during the day when I don't work, which allows me to, to be a more involved father and a, and, a, and a husband that contributes a lot to the household. So it's kind of a modular work schedule, but it works, and, and I, I get to do what I love uh, you know, at all different times of the day, even though it's different stuff.
0: You talk about messaging and, and how, how your message resonated with your core audience, which was Americans. How different is sales messaging in Europe as opposed to sales messaging in the United States?
1: Yeah, you know, that's, that's a pretty huge question. Uh, I'm not sure I'm the guy to answer that even though I'm over here. Uh, when I came here in 2004, I, I kind of came with a hypothesis. And that hypothesis was, I'll bet there's some things about sales that are the same. And I'll bet there are some things about sales that are different. And it's going to be interesting to find out what's what. And lucky for me, most of my work kind of operates on a very kind of a foundation, uh, you know, fundamental level. Uh, what I found is that when, when sales organizations are having trouble, it's usually not the stuff up at the surface that's giving them trouble. It's not the specific industry. It's not the specific culture. It's kind of that more basic and fundamental. So, so, you know, what I do tends to resonate uh, across cultures and I was able to have some success here too. I think the cultural stuff, you know, Europe is too big. It's like saying, you know, how does sales culture in America differ from something else? And, you know, New York is different than South Carolina, is different than Florida, is different mm-hmm. than California. And, you know, Europe is, is, is even more of that because you've got all these different countries and cultures and histories and religions. And so, you know, th- th- you can make some generalizations. They'd probably be mostly bad. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm just probably not the guy to do it. So that's, that. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. Well, that. no, and,
0: and, and it's interesting because now, um, you know, in the last 20 years with the explosion of the internet and, and the technology boom, we've never seen anything like that. It's so easy nowadays to take a giant world and make it incredibly small when you're talking to your customers and you're doing a lot of your virtual meetings what's one thing that you keep in mind as far as connecting with that customer how do you make that experience more personal for that customer to feel like they're sitting in the same room with you and and literally you're thousands of miles away
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And and you know, they they always said that Bill Clinton and, and other people as well, but Bill Bill Clinton's the guy that comes to mind what was someone who you were having a conversation with him. You felt like you were the only permanent. I think that that there's a couple of things that feed into that. One of them is is just really paying attention and really being interested. And another, I think and and this applies to to, to sales in general, where right? I think a lot of salespeople kind of have trouble is you really you really have to know your craft you really have to know your business you really have to know who you are as an individual you really have to be able to be present and i think that when you're really present with yourself and you're really present with somebody else and you're really interested in what's going on it's not the same as being there in person but there's still a connection that happens at least that's what i've found
0: And thinking about connection, David, how important do you, what premium do you put a value on connection? Because I've often said a lot of times, the biggest ability that humans have today is to connect, but people are constantly trying to refine and learn about connection. When you think about connection, what do you think of what, what immediately comes to mind? If you had one word to, to, to kind of make a synonym to connection, what, what is that for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the word that gets tossed around a lot is relationship. You know, I'm, I'm a sales guy. And, and so from the professional angle, you hear a lot about, about relationships. You know, sales is built on relationships. You buy from people you know, like and trust, that kind of thing. And, you know, this is going to sound weird, but, but I always kind of resisted that idea. I, I never liked the idea that as a salesperson, I was going to lead with the relationship. I mm-hmm. thought my job was to serve, my job is to help, my job is to understand somebody's situation, and if it seemed like there was a match, then it was my job to kind of bridge the gap between their situation and, and what I'm selling and how it might work for them. And what I've found is that when you do that really authentically, and when you do that in a way that it really provides value, not just in the, the way that you know people toss the world around, but, but you know you really help. You really Help the person with the situation, sometimes you wind up having a relationship with that person. And that's fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's you need them or not. And sometimes even when you do business, you form a relationship. But me, that always kind of came second. I think the people who who lead with, you know. I'm a relationship guy and I'm going to try and make a relationship with somebody. And then from that relationship, I'm going to try and sell them something that always felt more disingenuous to me. It always felt more right and real and authentic to say, Hey man, I'm here in my capacity as a sales professional. And as people, we might want to end up liking each other. I think that order of attack is actually pretty important. And I think get that wrong.
0: All right, hang on a second, David. You know, David, I I loved what you said there a minute ago about about connection and relationship and things like that because I, I I think connection and relationship is everything. It's huge because so many social media companies are are wanting to connect with their customers and and things like that, and they use connection in a way that we don't think about connection it's more of a bombardment or you know hey let me get as many messages as i can out here to my customers to try to get them to take action one time to do something in sales in your 20 years of sales what's the single biggest thing that you've seen change in how messaging is delivered and how sales are taught to sell
1: so, so three things. Number one, I've been in sales for thirty years. So, you know, God bless you for thinking I look so young.
0: But well, you know, I, I wanted to throw twenty years out there because of the the changing of the millennium. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. but but no, in in and I said the last twenty years because again, we've gone into a new millennium. We've crossed over from the nineteen nineties yep. into the into the two thousands. That's true, that's true. And, and things like that. So, so that's why I wanted to use that time frame reference, but. Uh, you know, again, the yep. question, I want to go back and ask the question again, what to you has changed in the last 20 years in selling as far as, as what you can yep. see kind of put your, your crystal ball and, and your hat on there to to kind of take us through that yep. question.
1: Well, so you asked two questions and I think it's interesting because they're different. They seem similar, but they're different. The first question was what's changed mm-hmm. and at a lot of levels, nothing at a lot of levels, nothing. I mean, Sales has always been, sale, sales done properly has always been about um, helping a customer solve a problem with whatever it is that you sell. When you do it right, that's what you ought to be doing. Yep. I think what has changed is, is the patience. I mean, when I started selling, for example, it used to be, you know, I, I got started selling cold calling. And I kind of had the feeling that if you sounded confident and calm, and had a good tone and had a, a good reason for calling, people would give you a little bit of time to kind of get through you know the next 30 seconds before they hung up on you or yeah. decided to continue with. And you know, obviously, there was a whole spectrum there. Some people were really good, some people were really bad. Some people would hang up on you no matter what happened. So but it feels to me like, you know, fast forward to today. And and your time in order to have somebody make that decision has been compressed. It's just, it, it happens sooner. When I teach people now, I tell them, listen, you, you have five to 10 seconds before somebody decides. They may or may not take action on that decision, but they're going to decide. And that's not very much time. And so I, I think, you know, the basic fundamentals, man, it, it's all the same. Well, David, but, let me. You have to be that much more crisp when you execute.
0: Let me jump in there because what I'm thinking about is our swipe society today, right? We scroll through our feeds. We scroll through our mentions. And literally, to your point, you're making a five to ten second decision based on what you scroll through, whether or not you're going to stay on that person's message, whatever it is that they are talking about, whether it's what they ate for dinner last night or to your point about a sales messaging. I, I think what you said there is brilliant. Well, what's really
1: funny is, you know, I I was around when the whole computer thing was evolving, and back then, you know, you young kids are going to think this is really funny, but back then, all this technology was supposed to make life slower and easier, you know, we were all supposed to be sitting back with our feet up, sipping our umbrella drinks, while the robots and the artificial intelligence and the automated stuff and the flying cars and the jetpacks just took care of everything but it seems like it's had completely the opposite effect. We're all scrambling, we're attached to work a lot longer in our day. And, 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 and we're all feeling this pressure to just make decisions quickly and, and, and not really go deep into something before deciding what we have to do. I'm not making a judgment about it. Maybe it's better that way, maybe it's not, I don't know. But I think that's definitely a change that we're all experiencing.
0: David, do you think that that makes a customer's decision-making process a little bit faster? They feel like they have to get to a decision a little bit quicker because, again, people are just, information is coming at people so fast, and again, they're making that swipe decision like we talked about a minute ago. Do you find buyers taking their time, or do you think maybe there's that internal pressure to go, hey, I need to make a decision here pretty quickly because if not, something else is going to come along?
1: Now, sales is a pretty broad category. And I think that if you were talking to somebody who was B2C or online, they might yep. give a different answer. I'm B2B. Most of my sales have, you know, most of my sales and, and, and the clients that I work with, they have sales processes that are complex enough that there's gonna to have to be some discussion about yep. what happens. And I think that in that environment, actually the opposite happens because The the customers now, I mean, this is a generalization, but I think there's some truth to it. Customers now have so many choices and they all look so similar. I I think it actually slows them down because there's always this idea, well, what if there's another option? And what if I haven't looked at all the things? What if something else is a better fit? So it puts more pressure on the salesperson to really make that connection and really make sure that the problem solution fit is 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 clearly articulated and understood on both sides of the table. Otherwise, you risk no decision, which I think is the biggest objection and the biggest competitor that any of us are facing these days.
0: Well, it's analysis by paralysis, you know, it's or or vice versa. It's paralysis by analysis because people can look on Google or whatever, you know, they can, you know, Bing, whatever the search engine is, and type in, a UPC code about a product or, or something or read a review online about a particular service that you might be selling and artificially they've kind of told themselves okay well maybe this is yeah, I need to move forward in the buying process or maybe they say well, the, the, what, the information that I'm seeing is that I should pull back do you feel How do you feel that that sales will progress in the next five years i, I now i'm going to ask you to really put your crystal ball hat on. Do you think artificial intelligence is going to help salespeople or hurt salespeople? Yes <laughs> both well yeah and, and, and listen do you you know i I say that as as an old sales guy myself because I see things in in the inner workings to your point about the way business was done the salesperson was the main information source the main message driver the main technical you know if you sold a technical product that customer came to you for those technical informations now you make a sales presentation and the customer has half the information you've already got in your powerpoint presentation they've already kind of pre-done that research already
1: yeah, I mean, you know, there's a couple of things. Number one, I think uh, uh, one of the advantages that salespeople still have over, over customers with respect to that is that customers are always going to have to be generalists. A salesperson gets the opportunity, if they take the opportunity, to really become an expert on their solution, really become an expert on their space. And while a, while a customer, I think, in, in, in most cases, again, generalization, but can go out and get a lot of information, A good salesperson is going to be able to get into a conversation about what's going on and and draw from their experience helping companies that have had similar problems, you know, multiple times, bring insights and and bring perspectives and bring ideas that the customer may not have had from, you know, however much research they did, you know, when this project was in front of them. So I think, again, it it puts the pressure on salespeople to be excellent. And if you mm-hmm. are excellent and if you are present and if you are communicating and listening, then you overcome this perception that people have that they have information. And you know, the challenger sale talked about it and some other people talk about it as well. But when you can really help the customer to understand that, you know, you've got some insights to offer, then then they become more comfortable buying from you because they feel like you've helped them to make a better decision about what they're working on. Then they of by themselves. And when that's the nature of the relationship, it's really a win-win. And I think that's what professional sales ought to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Talking to author, trainer, um, knowledgeable guy on sales, and the, uh, the host of the upcoming podcast, Driving B2B Sales Revenue, David Massover. I'm your host, Brian Sexton, here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. David, I want to uh, talk a little bit about um, and ask you this and kind of take the conversation a little different direction, but what is the biggest obstacle either personally or professionally that you've overcome? And, and what did you do to get through that obstacle?
1: Well, I would have to say on the personal side that it was a Taekwondo match long, long time ago that I lost in, in dramatic fashion.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: I, I was only bloodied up a little bit. The guy who came after me and, and, and fought the same competitor, he was knocked unconscious. And this is weekend warrior stuff. You know, we weren't in the Olympics. This was just like we're putting on our pajamas after work kind of
0: stuff. You guys were doing MMA before MMA was cool, huh? Oh,
1: uh, no, 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 no. This, this, <laughs> this was strictly just kind of, you know, very amateur stuff. But, you know, it, it was fun, and we took it seriously, and we had a good teacher, and we went to tournaments. And stepping into the ring at the next tournament took more guts than I thought I could muster. It was, it was really something for me to do that. And the fact that I did, because I really got hurt, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, go to the hospital hurt, but it scared me how, you know, so quickly I could, you know, he, he knocked me in the nose. He didn't break it, but it was, you know, all bloody. It was, it was a mess, you know? And and, and I saw what could have happened and and it just freaked me out. And you go back to class and it's your friends and like, you know, you spar hard, but not, you know, you don't try to hurt each other. You go to a tournament, you know, it's like the karate kid, right? You know, you don't know how aggressive the other teacher is and how aggressive they're teaching and you step into the ring and it's like, gosh, you know, something could happen. So it really took a lot of guts to do that. And uh, I was, I was, I, I didn't win, but, you know, getting into the ring uh, was a big victory for me and, and something I've carried with me for, for the 20 years since it happened.
0: Do you feel like that getting back into the ring mentality has helped you to persevere in sales? How, how were you able to translate that le- that life lesson into a professional lesson?
1: I, I don't think of it that way because I'd already been in sales for quite some time. And, and you know, if I'm reflecting on it now as, as, as an older gentleman, uh, I, I think that there was a lot of opportunities growing up to face those kind of challenges. I was in the Boy Scouts, for example, mm-hmm. and every month we used to go on these, these backpacking trips. And I can tell you, you know, it always looks real romantic when you're out there with your tent. You know, you got the picture with your tent and your, and your sleeping bag. But, but, man, when you're hiking up that hill with that heavy pack, you know, when you're tired yeah. and like, you can't stop till you get there. I mean, you can stop and rest, but, like, you're not really going to stop until you get to camp. And sometimes you're miserable and sometimes you're cold and sometimes it rains. And it's like, you know what? You just got to keep putting that, that, you know, one foot in front of the other. So from a very young age, I kind of had this lesson that, that there's just kind of no way out, but through, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't give up on a miserable situation, but you know what? Sometimes you got to tough it out. And, and I think that those kind of early lessons served me well in sales and served me well you know, in situations like the Taekwondo and, you know, served me well through personal situations that, you know, probably won't get into on this podcast, but, you know, at some level, a lot of that stuff is the same. It's just about having this idea that, you know what, if I, if I, if I hang in there, I have faith that then I'm going to be able to muscle through and I'm not exactly sure where that came from, but for sales and a bunch of other stuff, I'm awfully glad that, that that's become a part of who I am it's an asset.
0: Do you think perseverance is something that that we lack today in in our world? Because I I know I I'm in my late 40s, I see a lot of Gen Gen Xers and Gen Zers that that we talk about first world problems. You know, I, I dropped my cell phone and or this won't load up for me or something like that. And, and you want to look at them and go, man, you know, grow up a little bit because the things in life that you may may face that are way tougher than your cell phone's too slow, or I got to have an iPhone 11 it is bigger than that. What do you think that perseverance taught you as an overall lesson in life?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I don't know that it, I, I, I don't know that I can articulate it very well, but I know that, uh, you know, wherever you are in life, you, 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 it's easy to feel like what you're facing is a challenge. And as you go on and on in life, at least as I've gone on and on in life, you face bigger challenges. And, and, and some of them are downright scary. And, and you face instances in your life that are scarier than you think. You know, and I've had a pretty calm life mm-hmm. uh, compared to an awful lot of people around the world. But I think just knowing you know, kind of starting with little things and building up just knowing that, hey, man, I can get through this. I've gotten through things in the past. And, and just because it's hard, and just because it's uncomfortable, doesn't mean that I'm not going to be able to muscle through. Mm
0: -hmm. That
1: doesn't mean you don't fall apart afterwards or or whatever, but you know, you get through.
0: Well, and and here in the States, as you well know, and the time we're recording this podcast, they're they're in a lot of states as a shelter in place. There's there a lot of people are being told not to go out or self quarantine. Um, work from home has become the big thing, and people are going to have to learn perseverance. What do you think the biggest takeaway is going to be when this COVID nineteen thing is is done, and it will pass. It you know it, it normally does. I want to ask the question though in, in in two parts. I want you to speak directly to sales, something you know extremely well, and then speak to how how you think people will, will overcome in life um going through this COVID nineteen situation.
1: Well, on the sales side, I'll tell you what I hope happens. Um I think that sales has has kind of gone off the rails in the last five or 10 years, if we're talking about it in general. Yeah. And I think there's been a whole lot of kind of robo sales, sales by attrition. You know, let's not focus on the quality. Let's just focus on the attrition. If we want to sell more stuff, let's make more dials as opposed to let's work on conversion ratios. And, you know, now at this point in time, a couple of weeks into when everybody's really feeling... This, this coronavirus uh, situation, people are starting to talk about things that many of us have been talking about for a long time, which is yeah. don't reach out to people unless you can help them and solve a problem. So it is my hope that after all of this is done, some of that lesson is going to remain. I don't know how optimistic I am, but I'm certainly hopeful that that, that Core truth that just always should be at the forefront of selling is going to stick. Mm -hmm. People are talking about it now and it's a good message. And I really hope it does.
0: David, I want to ask you something. What is your why? Every day when you get up, people have whys. You know, maybe it's their personal Mm -hmm. mission statement. Mine is to add value to everything that I touch or impact personally and professionally. What is your why? What's your, maybe your mission statement that drives you every day and your purpose for helping people get better in what they do?
1: So the, you know, there's a short answer and a medium answer, and I'll give you both this time. The short answer is that when I started at sales, I was terrible. I was absolutely terrible. The medium answer is I got thrown into a sales job like a lot of people do, even today, which is kind of, here's your desk, here's your phone. Here's the list from the person who, you know, just left the company. Good luck. That was it. I've never had a sales job before. Got no training. I'm sitting there in an open office, listening to the people on my left and my right, having these just fun conversations, telling jokes and laughing. and, And then at the end, they're writing up orders. And I'm sitting there thinking, how do you do that? And you know, it was a really, really bad feeling. I did not know what to do. And I was full commission. And I was yeah. too stubborn to quit. And I stuck with it. And so I, I, you know, the way I tell the story now, it's true. I figured out sales. You know, sales to me was just this thing that was too big. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what sales is, but I can break it down. I can say, I can think about you know, what am I selling and who needs to buy it and, and, and what problem does it solve and why should they buy it from me and where can I find them and what can I say to get into a conversation? And once I'm in a conversation, what can I, what can I do to, to continue that conversation? And, you know, so the way I tell the story is I invented the sales process. I mean, I found out later that somebody else had already invented the sales process, but I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. And, and that has, has driven Literally all of my success in sales, that mentality, that approach as a manager, as a, as a consultant, as an executive, as an author. And now, 30 years later, when my work is really helping salespeople, sales leaders, sales organizations improve, I don't forget that feeling staring at that phone. And I yeah. don't forget that feeling when I was put into a sales manager job not being trained and not knowing what to do. Yeah. And it feels bad. And you know, obviously, this is something I do as a living and I like to make money and it's good to be able to buy nice things. But to be able to help people to to, to figure out how to be effective at this work that we do is is a very big motivator for me. And that is my why.
0: And you know, it's interesting. I I have a similar sales background. The first time I took a territory, I was working for a large food service distributor. I took a mature territory. And I had a veteran rep that pulled me aside, David, and he said he called me sexy. And he said, sexy, let me give you some advice. It's going to take you three years to figure it out, to know your customer base inside and out, to know what they want to buy, to know how they want to buy, to know what's important to them. And and most of all, just to get to know them, get to know their families, get to know what gets them up in the mornings. And he was spot on, David, because it took me three years to figure my territory out and to figure out what, I, what value I could bring to the process. Because to your point, we don't know what we don't know. And we're just, you know, we've, we've got to, where I live in West Virginia, the, the, the Appalachian people, they'll lick their finger and stick it in the air and kind of see which way the wind's blowing. And that's how they can, they try to determine, the old farmers would do that. They would have determine how to plant the crops and things like that. Well, we're in a world now where we have all these different pieces of technology, but it still comes back to you, what you figured out for you was, I got to make the process personal. Because I can't take your process and make it personal to me unless I get it ingrained here and then get it ingrained in my in my heart. When you finally figured out you had that V eight moment and light switch went off, how transformational was it for you? What what kind of success did you start seeing, and how quickly did you start seeing it?
1: You know, I I don't know that there was a moment. Uh, One of the things that always kind of gave me trouble was cold calling and Mm -hmm. you know my 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 parents are both scientists and i had recently graduated from college and i'm like you know what there's got to be a book and i got a book and 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 i read the book and i i i did what the book said and and i got good at cold calling and it was something that i really had a lot of anxiety about and when i when i became effective at cold calling it wasn't like i read the book and i was good at it but i read the book and i knew what to do so i was confident so I did more of it and I did it consistently and I started getting results and, and there was this virtuous cycle, uh, you know, then I got results. And so then I went full cycle with people and was, was starting to get more sales and getting more confident, being more confident on the phone. And so I think that was really kind of a, a linchpin skill that helped to propel me. But, you know, sales has a lot of moving parts and they're all interrelated. So I think, you know, the, the, the takeaway for anyone who really wants to get better is try to find something that you can work on that's really going to move the needle and work on that. And then, you know, find something else later to work on and then find something else. And it, it never stops because the world keeps changing and you keep changing. But just, you know, getting that piece down and knowing that I could get that piece down. I think, with, with, with the things that really changed the way I felt about it. I can do this. I can get better. I can work at it. I can find solutions. I can improve. I can be successful increasingly. Oh, that's very empowering.
0: Well, and David, I think what you hit on there is consistency. You found something that worked for you, and you be, you used it consistently to get a repeatable delivery it's like it's like a a guy that's a golfer or, or a lady that's a golfer once they find the swing they just repeat it over and over and over again through repetition and practice and and so man that that's a great message to to segue into my last question I appreciate your time today what's one piece of intentional encouragement that you would leave with this audience to to kind of help lift them um and get them because there may be somebody that listens to you and go man David your your story and my story are real similar what's your best piece of intentional encouragement for this audience
1: Well, you know, full disclosure, uh, you warned me that you were going to ask that question. (laughs) I did. Well, Well, it's the Intentional
0: Encourager podcast. I want to leave folks with some intentional encouragement. (laughs) Otherwise, it would would be the BS, you know, and then there's a whole different monicum. You could take that, those two letters, the BS, you know.
1: I'm going to be on that. I'm going to be on that podcast next week, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no BS. So I, yeah. Uh, there, there's a
1: there, there's a book that I read. Uh, I, I picked it up out of my bookshelf. It's inscribed to me to, from my mother back in 1981. Wow. It's called Illusions. It's by the guy that wrote uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, uh, Richard Bach. And there's a sentence that he wrote in there that really resonated with me back in 1981. 1981, I was, what, 16 years old. And the sentence goes something like this. I'm looking at the book. I don't remember it. I had to go pick it up. But the sentence says, live never to be ashamed if anything you do or say is published around the world, even if what is published is not true. And that really struck me because I think, you know, we can be so sensitive about what other people say about us or, or you know, things like that. But, you know, when you live your life in a way that... That, that people know who you are and they know what your intention is and they know what you're all about and, and they hear something about you that doesn't sync up with that and the impression that you have with them is stronger than what they heard. Obviously, it doesn't work that way all the time, but when it does work that way, you've really connected with that person who when given the choice about, am I going to believe this thing that I heard or am I going to believe what I know about this person? When they when they defer to to what they Feel they know about that person, being being living your life such that people can feel that way about you, I think is is a is a goal to shoot for and a and a way to live that that was impressed upon me when I was sixteen and you know a whole lot of years later that's certainly something I strive for today.
0: Wow, that's exactly right. You want to be authentic and genuine and consistent and man what a perfect way to wrap up that the podcast i appreciate you sharing that with us tell folks how they can get connected with you and get connected with your resources and um you know just just get more of what you have to offer david
1: well on the you know i uh, i'm very active on linkedin very easy to find me there david masover, Massover, m-a-s-o-v-e-r and that's also the name of my website davidmasover.com reach out love to connect with you and uh see where it goes from there.
0: Yep. And, and tell, uh, you know, if you're not connected with David and you, you hear about him on the Intentional Encourager podcast, let him know that you heard about him on the Intentional Encourager podcast. David, my friend, I appreciate your time, man. You have dropped some great knowledge on the audience today. And uh, man, I, I am so grateful for your time. Thank you so much.
1: It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Brian.
0: My thanks, as always, to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Mead. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through His Word. And until next time, remember: everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.